0: Good morning. All right. There we go. There we are. You are out there. That's good. I'm glad that you're here uh, this morning, and I'm so glad to be able to be here with you. We're continuing on, like Zach said, with part two of the series, Lessons from the Pit. And these are the things that, uh, that God has taught me in the wake of my wife's sudden death almost three years ago. Um, I, uh, we moved, we've been coming to Northview, like Zach said, for about a year because uh, we just we moved out to Washington uh, about a year ago. Um, I had been a pastor out in Michigan for 12 years, and uh, I had to step down from, from that position after Tanya died because it was just too hard for me to make it work as a grieving single dad with two small boys. But uh, even though I'm not... A full-time pastor anymore, I do believe that God still has a story that He wants me to share. And Pastor Steve has been so gracious to allow me to do that. And so that's why I'm standing up here in front of you this morning. But in sharing my story with all of you, what I, what I really want to do is to bring honor and glory to God because this story is so much more about Him than it is about me. It's about what He did in me, and for me, and and through me. It's about what God has taught me about Him through the experiences that I've gone through. And I want to share these lessons with you because some of you are in that pit this morning. You're you're down in a hole, and you just don't know how you're going to get out. And I want to be able to speak to you this morning and encourage you as you're down there. Others of you are just coming out of a pit and I want to be able to share with you so that you can hopefully understand a little bit more about this experience that God has brought you through. And and perhaps as I share with you the things that God taught me and the purposes that he had in my life, you might begin to see maybe some of those same purposes at work in your life. And others of you are getting ready to fall into a pit and you aren't even aware of it. You don't know it. It's not on your radar because that's how it is a lot of times. And I want to help you to be ready, to be prepared for whatever lies ahead. You know, I didn't know that my pit was coming. It wasn't anywhere on my radar. Tanya's doctor wanted to do a hysterectomy to clear up some issues that that she'd been having. Uh, it's, it's, I understand it 's a, a major surgery, but uh, at the same time it 's not like you know doctors never do this. Uh, millions of women have, have had this done, and, uh, and I certainly wasn 't expecting anything out of it. I, I just I thought that she would be sore for a little while, not that she was going to die. I was getting ready to dote on her for a couple of weeks, not to bury her. But 11 days after her surgery, the biopsy came back. It was cancer. Three weeks later, she was gone. So the time to get ready for your pit is now. You never know when you're going to get that phone call. You never know when the driver is going to cross the center line. You never know when the earthquake is going to hit. You never know when the company is going to downsize. You never know when these lessons are going to be useful in your life. So it's really best to learn them now. Last week I shared with you the Jesus lesson, which is that if you make God the center of your life, your life will be unshakable. See, if anything else is at the center of your life, then your life will fall apart when that thing fails and it will fail because everything in this world fails. Everything breaks down, everything falls apart, everything collapses eventually with time. Everything in this world So whatever you've built your life on that's not God, it will fail. And when it does, your life will fall apart. But if God is the center of your life, then God will never fail. And so your life will be unshakable. This week, I want to share with you the friendship lesson. So turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Philippians chapter one. That's where we're going to be spending our time today. And as you do, I just want to kind of set this up a little bit. So there's this missionary named Paul. Some of you maybe have heard of him. He went around to different places in the ancient Near East uh, telling people about Jesus and starting churches. And that's exactly what he did here in the city of Philippi. He was the one who started this church. and, And that story is told in Acts. And so there's a few things that we know about how Paul started this church. We know that the first person in that city to give her heart to Jesus was a prominent upper class woman named Lydia. It was her and her entire household, and then uh, Paul led the prison warden in that town to Christ in a pretty dramatic fashion. See, Paul had been thrown into prison. He kind of got he kind of got put in prison an awful lot. Throughout the course of his life, sort of like Jesus, he was always upsetting the status quo and he was um, he was making life uncomfortable for people. And so one of the ways that they would deal with this rabble is they would toss him into prison and get him out of the way for a little while. So so Paul was in prison and there was an earthquake and the chains fell off him and all the other prisoners and the doors of the prison flung open and the, the, after the earthquake, the, the prison warden came to the prison to see if everything was the way that it was supposed to be. And he saw the door standing wide open and he figured all the prisoners must have escaped. And he pulled out his sword and he was getting ready to kill himself because he knew that he would personally be held responsible if all of the prisoners escaped. And so he pulled out his sword and he was getting ready to do himself in. And Paul called out to him. He said, don't harm yourself. We are all here. And the warden, with amazement and gratitude, said, what must I do to be saved? And so Paul, at that very moment, led him to Christ. And probably other prisoners that were there with him probably led them to Christ through the process. Because nobody had ever seen anybody act that way towards somebody who was there to inflict punishment on them. The world doesn't see grace and mercy and generosity and forgiveness like that. So we know that there was this very deep and intimate and personal relationship between Paul and the Philippian Christians. And this letter that he wrote after he got the church established and he moved on, he wrote back to this church in Philippi. And we know that this letter is the most personal letter of Paul's that we have in the Bible. Some people have gone so far as to say that the Philippian church was probably Paul's favorite church. And you can see his affection for them as he writes. So we're going to be in Philippians here, the first, just the first 11 verses. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. for whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the Gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You're going to see, you're going to see the emotion, the love, the affection, the connection that exists between Paul and the believers in Philippi. Now, I shared with you some of the background about that relationship and why uh, they had some some of the events that led to that kind of a connection. But what I didn't tell you previously is that when Paul wrote this, he was actually in prison again in a different place, stuck in a prison cell, writing these letters. And so while he's sitting there in his pit, what is he thinking about? He's thinking about his friends in Philippi. He's thinking about how he can encourage them, what he can teach them, how he can help them understand why it ultimately doesn't even really bother him to suffer all of these things. Paul uses the words joy and rejoice in, in Philippians more than any other of his letters. But before he gets to any of that, he can't help but start this letter by talking about how how incredibly and deeply thankful he is for them for their support of him both both prayer support and monetary support and how thankful he is for the partnership that they have together in the gospel but also for the very deep emotional connection that they share together how he longs for them with the affection of Jesus Christ you know in our culture we don't do relationships very well. Our world is, uh, our, our Western society is very much a, a, an individualistic society. We, we think about ourselves and then we think about uh, the people immediately in our family, our nuclear family, and, and sometimes a little bit beyond that. But that's where the, our emphasis lies. It's about me and mine and protecting me and mine. When I uh, first moved out here to Washington, I I got a job as a financial manager for a fiduciary corporation. That's what I do now. We manage assets and care for needs of people who can't manage their own affairs for whatever reason. Some of our clients are elderly. Some of them are disabled. uh, Some of them have mental illness. But uh, but they're not able to look after themselves. And, And in a healthy family, it's the family members themselves who kind of step up and take care of their own who have needs. But of course, lots of families aren't healthy. We have clients whose own family members have exploited them and abused them and stolen money from them. And we're called in to protect them from their own family members. We have clients who've alienated everyone around them. They're just so filled with anger and bitterness and resentment and and all of the the garbage that's built up over the course of their lives that they've pushed every single person away from them that they possibly could. And there's nobody left. And so their only option is to pay to have somebody take care of them at the end of their lives. We have clients where someone has died and they've left their money and their will to family members who hate each other and don't trust each other. And so we get called in to execute the will and to divide up the assets as a a neutral third party. I uh, recently just got a, a case handed to me last week where uh, the two sisters, their mom had passed away and left half of uh, everything to each sister. And, and uh, they were so distrustful of each other, they both ran out to the courthouse to try to become the, uh, the representative of the estate. And they actually got into a fist fight outside of the courthouse uh, because of, of their distrust and anger and hatred for one another. So we got called in. As, as the neutral third party to be the one who, who divvies it all up. Now, so that's the kind of work that I do now. I've been uh, doing this for about nine months and every time I think I've just about seen it all, there's some new sort of craziness that comes down the pipe. But I love my job because most of what I do is all about protecting the vulnerable and the powerless. And so by serving them, I get to serve Jesus. And I get to advocate for them, and I get to care for them, and I get to uh, uh, erect a barrier that prevents them from being exploited by the people who would otherwise exploit them. My entire job is built around messed up relationships. But it's not just those people out there, right? It happens right here too, doesn't it? If we're completely honest with ourselves. Anger, lying, selfishness, betrayal, shallowness, avoiding the real issues, unforgiveness, shutting people down, shutting people out, manipulating, most of us are simply not good at relationships. Now some of us have never even seen a good relationship up close to even know what it looks like. Some of us don't even know what it means to actually be able to trust another person. Some of us have never met people in our lives that we've found to be actually trustworthy. And so we hold people at arm's length and we keep it shallow to avoid getting burned. We protect ourselves. But when we do it creates this ripple effect because we end up hurting the people who are closest to us through our lack of trust and our lack of honesty. We make it hard for them to trust, for them to be honest with anybody, for them to be committed to a relationship. Instead, we're teaching them that getting close to people is dangerous. So then the people around us, they begin to do all the same things. They lie to protect themselves. They shut down connections. They shut people out of their lives. They keep everyone at arm's length and keep everything shallow. They hide behind masks that that project the image that they want people to see. And when hard times come and crisis hits, the relationships crumble because it's not strong enough to handle it. When everything in our lives that connects us to other people is shallow. And we're really looking for something beyond that because we we are in desperate times and our lives are falling apart. And we need somebody who's really going to be there. Those shallow relationships disappear. Because that's not what that relationship is about. That relationship isn't about the hard stuff. It's about the easy stuff. When the hard stuff comes, I'm out of here. And then this becomes the way an entire culture learns how to interact with one another. It's quite a contrast, isn't it? The kind of relationships that most of us are all too familiar with, the ones we know all about how that works, right? And the kind of relationship that we see between Paul and the Philippians. They're worlds apart, aren't they? They're utterly different. And it's pretty clear, isn't it, as to which kind of relationships you'd like to have in your own life? But how many of us have those kind of relationships? You know, God has something to say about how he wants us to treat people, how we ought to think about people, and particularly the kind of connection that ought to exist among us as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I'm going to be talking this morning a lot about Northview Community Church, and I'm going to be talking to the people who make up Northview Community Church. If you're here this morning and maybe you're visiting, you're out of town, you're here with relatives or or whatever, and you belong to another church, then what I want to encourage you to do is, is to listen to this and figure out what applies to you and your own church body and take it home with you and it will revolutionize your church. For those of you who are here and you aren't part of any church, maybe you're just here and you're, you're checking out the claims of Jesus Christ. You're, you're, you're seeking what is truth. And does God really exist? And is He really there for me? And you're not part of this church because you're just checking it out. I want to invite you to listen as well. And let me introduce you to a wonderful called the Christian community. You see, the church exists because Jesus told us to gather together and form communities of faith that would be unlike any grouping of people that has ever existed anywhere on the planet Earth in the history of the world. Jesus put us together and said, I want you to develop relationships with each other that the world has never seen before. Now, if we're going to be honest, we fall short of that. But this is the vision that Jesus has put in front of us, and we are striving toward it, and we are moving toward it, and we are working every day to accomplish it. And sometimes we actually even get it close to right. And it's a beautiful thing. And the greatest thing of all is that anybody can come and be a part of it. Anybody can surrender themselves to Christ... And to accept that He is Lord and that He has the right to call the shots in our lives. And when we come to that point and we believe and we accept and we move forward, then we join this thing called the church and we become part of the greatest organization that the world has ever seen. So let's look a little bit more closely at this relationship between Paul and the Philippians. And we'll see if we can find out some more about what made the bond between them so special. And if you are part of Northview, which is most of us, then this is especially going to be relevant for how we interact with one another as we belong to each other. So I see three things in this passage that show us why Paul and the Philippians had such a great relationship. And number one is that there's a shared foundation, a shared foundation. Listen to this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's two verses. He mentions Jesus three times. And of course, the understanding is that Paul and the Philippians, they share the same understanding about who Jesus is, what he did, and what the significance was of his life and death and resurrection. See, both Paul and the Philippians, they believe that Jesus was not only the Son of God, but that he showed us who God is, that he lived his perfect life, his sinless life in service and sacrifice to the world, that he ultimately died on the cross, taking our sins upon himself, so that we could have access to God the Father and enter into a relationship with him that will never end. That's what they believed about who Jesus is and what he came to do and the role that he plays in our lives. And they have this in common, this shared foundation. But they not only have this belief in common, they not only believe the same things. But they have both constructed their lives around it. They have surrendered themselves to Jesus. They've removed themselves from the throne of their lives. And they've placed Jesus there instead. They have a common foundation for their lives. And having that foundation in common... There's a bond that runs very deep. They understand each other because they have the same perspective on the world and life and death and suffering and money and the purpose for everything. And isn't it great to be able to go and talk to people who understand you? So they had a shared foundation for their lives in Jesus Christ. That's the first thing that we see that led to this great relationship. Number two is mutual prayer. Verse 3 says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. So that's Paul praying for them, right? And then look at verse 19. I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. So that's the Philippian church praying for Paul. It was a mutual thing. They each prayed for each other. There's something that happens relationally when we pray with and for one another. God binds us together in a deeper way than he ever could otherwise. This is why we pray for each other in our community groups. Here at Northview, we don't just gather on Sunday mornings, but we also throughout the week, different days, different places, we break up into smaller groups of us that we call community groups. We gather together for the purpose of sharing life together, lifting our concerns together, praying for each other, working together and studying God's Word together. And as we we gather in these community groups, mutual prayer is at the heart of what we do. So that we will be bound to one another. My new wife, Noelle, and I, are members of a community group that meets on Thursday nights. And we lead another group for married couples on Sunday nights. So we actually are part of two groups. And, and it has been so wonderful for us as we've gotten connected with people in the church in a much deeper way than we ever could just coming on Sunday mornings. See, this is where real Christian community happens. I don't know if you've ever wondered, how do you get connected in a, group, in a church? Maybe you've been attending for a while and you're like, you know, I just, it's nice. The music is great. and Pastor Steve's preaching is great. And the people are nice. But I don't know. There's just not this, this connection. How do you ever get connected? How do you actually meet people? You do it in community groups. Noelle and I felt that way for the first, I don't know, three, four, five months that we were coming here. It was the relationships that we developed in our community groups that actually made us feel part of this church. So if you're not part of a community group yet, you really need to be, even if you don't know it. And I know all the excuses. Well, we're too busy. Our kids are in sports. I I feel uncomfortable. I I don't know anybody. I I can't just share all the stuff of my life with people I don't even know. But I'm telling you, that's all it is, is excuses. What, what you're really saying, when we say that, what we're really saying is, well, my kids' sports events or my own feelings of comfort are more important than building the kind of relationships that God wants us to have as brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and maybe that's not what we mean to say. Maybe that's not what we actually intend to say. But, but ultimately, that's what we are saying if we say that I'm going to base my decision not to be part of a community group on these other things instead of what God wants for us as a community of faith. And a huge part of it is this idea of mutual prayer. You see, when I start praying for somebody, I begin to care a lot more about them. I care more about the things that they're going through, the barriers that are keeping them from drawing closer to God. I care more about their families and their relationships and the things that are, are weighing heavy on their mind. I care about the baggage from their past and the needs that they have. See, prayer, as we pray with and for one another, it creates this emotional and spiritual bond between us that just grows as we share more and more of ourselves with each other. Same thing is true in your marriage for those of you who are married. You want a marriage where you're bonded to each other, where you're deeply connected to each other where you have this, this heart and this compassion and, this, and this, um, this deep spiritual connection with each other, I can tell you a huge part of that is praying with and for each other. See, you thought that since Pastor Steve wasn't preaching, you'd get a break from hearing about how important it is for couples to pray together, right? Sorry. See, the fact is that he's right. He is absolutely right. Noel and I, we pray together every night. We've done that ever since we got married. And, and what we realize is that we need to pray together more. So now we started praying together every morning. So we pray together every morning and every night. And at other times throughout the day when things come up, we pray about parenting problems. We pray about money problems. We pray about communication problems. The, all the problems that come into our life, we pray about it. We come together and the very first thing that we do is we pray. There's a saying, you know, the family that prays together stays together. And, and that's a nice bumper sticker, I understand. And it's not always true, of course. But the reason that is generally true is because that God does something in us relationally when we pray within for one another. It's why Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Because when you're praying for them, God helps you take your eyes off of what it is that they're doing to hurt you and helps you focus more on the wounds and the hurts and the spiritual needs that they have. And you begin to develop compassion for them and concern for them. And your love for them increases and grows. So if we want to be bonded together as a community of faith, if we want to have deep Meaningful, powerful relationships, we've got to spend time praying with and for one another. And the place that that happens at Northview Community Church is in community groups. So when we look at Paul and the Philippians, we see that they had a great relationship because they had a shared foundation, they had mutual prayer, and they cooperated together in the mission. Verse four, in all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Skip down to the middle of verse seven says whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. So even when they're not physically present with each other. Paul has moved on from Philippi. He's working to plant churches in other places. He's delivering the gospel to other cities. And he says, as I'm out there sharing the gospel, you are sharing it with me. You're participating in that with me because of the connection that we have. We're partners in the gospel. Part of that is because they're praying for them. for, For Paul, part of that is because they're supporting his ministry financially. But they are a part of what it is that he's doing as they cooperate in the mission and they are sharing the gospel themselves where they're at there in Philippi. Now, when Paul talks about the gospel, he means declaring out loud the message of Jesus Christ, that Jesus came down from heaven as the son of God, that he died on the cross to take the penalty for our sins, that he rose on Easter Sunday in triumph over evil and death. And that we can have forgiveness and reconciliation with God because of what he did. That's the gospel. When Paul says, your partner's in the gospel, that's what, that's what they're partners in. And I want to stop here for just a moment to correct a misunderstanding that, that some of us have. Uh, St. Francis of Assisi is supposed to have said, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Have, have any of you ever heard that before? Right? That, that little phrase, you know, gets repeated an awful lot. Now, I don't know if St. Francis actually said that. I wasn't there. And if he did say it, I, I'm really not quite sure what he meant by it. Uh, I'd, I'd like to ask him. But what I do know is that millions of Christians have taken that little quote and they've used it as an excuse to never preach the gospel. and And that is tragic. That is tragic. Because... Here's what I can tell you is that when you are communicating the gospel, you will always need to use words. You will always need to use words at some point in communicating the gospel. You will need to talk. You will need to to use words to communicate the gospel. Here, let me, let me tell you something that has never happened in the history of the world, right? There has never been a guy just going along in his life trying to follow Jesus the very best that he can. And a neighbor comes up and he says, hey, I have noticed something about you. You, like, never cheat on your wife and you seem to really love your kids and, and you are never home on Sunday mornings. Tell me what is your secret? No, 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 man. You've got to tell me. You've got to tell me. I I need to know. How do you do it? Wow. Oh, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. I get it. Okay. That has never happened. Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Let me tell you, it's always necessary to use words. Am I saying our actions don't matter? Of course not. The gospel is show and tell. We have to show it and we have to tell it. It is not show and show and show and show. It's show and tell. Our actions have to line up with our words. And our words have to line up with our actions. But we show the gospel in our lives and we tell the gospel with our mouths. That's what preaching the gospel is. You living your life is not in itself the gospel, and it will never win anyone to Christ on its own. If we don't verbally communicate the gospel, then people that God created and people that He loves are going to go to hell because we were too scared to talk to them about what really matters. So when Paul says that the Philippians are partners with Him in the gospel, from the first day until now. He's talking about the fact that they are cooperating with him in his ministry to communicate the good news about Jesus with as many people as they can. So take a look at this, right? Shared foundation in Jesus Christ. You might call that celebrating God. Mutual prayer, that's certainly a big part of serving one another, isn't it? What better way is there to serve each other than to pray for each other? And cooperation and mission, that's like sharing God's love with our world, isn't it? Well, isn't that nifty? Because those are the three things that our church is centered around. Our mission statement, the reason that our church exists is that Northview Community Church is committed to encouraging people to become more like Jesus by celebrating God, Serving one another and sharing God's love with our world. And that's what gave Paul and the Philippians this special connection, this special bond with each other. So, what that means, in practical terms for you and me, is that The more we join together and work together and pray together to advance the mission of this church, the more incredible bonds there will be that form among us. The greatest relationships in the world are relationships that are centered on Jesus Christ and His mission. Because we are in it together. Because we are on the same team. We are headed in the same direction. We are engaged for the same purpose. We are aligned. We are pulling together. We are in it with each other. So no wonder that when Paul is in prison, when he's in life's pit, his mind immediately goes to the Philippians. And just the thought of them fills him with joy and affection. And he knows that it's all worthwhile because he has, he has these partners, these, these allies, these brothers and sisters who have built their lives on Jesus because of Paul. And they're praying with him. And they're sharing the Gospel. They are continuing on even when he is sidelined for a time. When he's put in prison and there's nothing that he can do other than write letters, they are still advancing the gospel and taking the walls of the kingdom further and further and further out across this world. And so he can say, I'm confident. I'm confident of this. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And it's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you can be able to discern what is best and be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So, are you ready for the friendship lesson? Here it is. You need close relationships, real friendships, like you need your next breath. You need those kind of relationships. You need that kind of bond with your brothers and sisters in Christ, like you need your next breath. It's absolutely vital. I don't mean people you know their name. People, you shake their hand and you say, Hi, good morning, how are you? Hi, good morning, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. Oh, that's fine. We're all fine. Isn't that fine? I mean, people who are in life with you when life isn't fine. People who are going to be there and walk with you through the pit and you would be there for them. You know, every relationship has a center. For most of us, our, our relationships at work, they center around work, of course. Relationships in our family, they center around the shared connections that we have as a family. Shared experiences, inside jokes, mutual relationships, you know, aunt so-and-so, you know how she is. And, and that's, you know, those are our family relationships, And with friends, you might have a relationship that's centered around sports or quilting or gardening or card games. But every relationship has a center. Every every relationship does. When you say, this is what our relationship is really about, when you boil it all down, this is what it is. And close relationships with other believers centered around your shared life in God will comfort you in life's pit. And you need them. In fact, apart from God himself... That's about the only thing that will comfort you in the pit. Shortly after Tanya died, lots of people came up to me and they, they told me their own stories about how they had lost their wife or I lost my husband or I know I have a friend who lost uh, somebody important to them. And and there is, on, on some level, there's a connection point. And, and I get it. I mean, especially when you lose a spouse, young in life, you're joining a club that nobody wants to join. But that doesn't comfort me. Here I am, racked with pain, and knowing that there's other people out there who are also racked with pain, that does not make my life any better. But you know what does? The way that my church came around me and supported us through the darkest time of my life. The first thing they did was they provided me with a four-month leave of absence paid. And then they filled my freezer with food. And when it was full, they filled the chest freezer in my basement with food. And when it was full, they brought in another freezer and they plugged it in in my garage and they filled it with food. I had a list of people as long as my arm that I could call who would take care of my boys, who would watch them for me while I had meetings or other obligations or just things that I needed to get done, like grocery shopping or running errands or taking care of things that are so much harder with a two-year-old and a six-year-old. And not every one of them were available every time I called around the clock, but by the time I made it through my list, I never once had nobody who was able to watch my kids when I needed somebody to watch my kids. the kind of community that I experienced in the bottom of my pit was one of the most amazing things about my journey. I saw the community of God function the way God calls it to function. And it is a beautiful and powerful thing There's not another group of people on the face of the earth that looks anything like the church of God functioning the way God calls it to function. I want to invite the ushers to come forward and to begin passing out communion. And communion oftentimes when we take it, we're we're focused on the cross and, and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And of course, that makes total sense because the bread represents His body, which is broken for us. And the cup represents His blood that was shed for us. And it all happened out there on that cross. And so it's appropriate for us to think about that and to remember that and reflect on it. Thank you. But there's something also about communion that we need to think about and reflect on. And that's our relationships with one another. Have you ever noticed how closely the word communion is tied to community? It's because as we have communion with Jesus through His sacrifice, we also have communion with one another. That we are linked to one another just as we are linked to Christ. And that the community that we share is built around our communion with Christ. It's His sacrifice that draws us together. It's His example that leads us. It's His mission That inspires us. And it's His teaching that directs us. And our community is formed out of our communion with Jesus Christ. Our shared life in God. And there's another thing. When Jesus first instructed His disciples to observe this ceremony. And He taught them how to do it. He told them to keep on doing it and to pass on that tradition. And it is something that every community of faith has celebrated everywhere, in every place, in every time. Every believer in Jesus Christ has taken communion. And through this ceremony, we are united with them and we are bound together as the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the people of God. As We share this ceremony observing the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And so as we go to communion this morning, I want to invite you to reflect on, on your relationships, particularly your relationships here at the church. Is there anybody that you need to forgive? Is there anybody you need to seek the forgiveness of? Anyone you need to apologize to? Maybe you need to reflect on your priorities. It's so easy to get busy. It's so easy to get caught up in everything that the world chases after we end up squeezing out relationships when the Bible says our lives are supposed to be all about relationships. As we take communion this morning, where is it that God is speaking to your heart? I'd encourage you to respond to Him. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks and he said, This is my body which is broken for you. Take this, all of you, and eat of it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, when the supper had ended, he took the cup and he said, This is the cup of my blood, the blood of a new covenant which will be for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Take this, all of you, and drink of it in remembrance of me.